Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelik. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelik. Hello, everyone. I'm Eva Medelik, and I'm really excited for our show today. Today, we get to learn a little bit of history that was quite significant for America, but some of you may not be aware of it. Personally, I love all things history, and my guest today will be sharing some interesting facts about why America should be grateful to Haiti. Now, Roger Prasad is a veteran of the United States Air Force. After his service, he enjoyed a 35-year career with two airlines and one manufacturer. He spent 17 years in Oklahoma, where he met survivors of both the Osage region of terror and the Tulsa Massacre. Now, if you haven't heard of the Tulsa Massacre, I actually would encourage you to um, Google it because that was a significant event in Black American history. But mostly important as well, Roger is the author of the book, America Should Be Grateful to Haiti, which seeks to reveal a more accurate account of the history of indigenous and African people. The book begins by examining the life of the Taino people in Haiti prior to 1492, and it compares it to life in Europe at the same time. Roger used his background in aircraft engineering to do a root cause analysis on most of the historical events covered in the book. This sounds amazing. So I want to welcome you to the show, Roger. Thank you, Eva. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So tell tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you know, from being in the United States Air Force and being with the airlines and a manufacturer, how you actually started down this path in history. So tell us a little bit about that background of who you are. My background is I'm Guyanese. I'm born in Georgetown, Guyana. Migrated to the United States as a 19-year-old, finished my degree and went straight into the Air Force. But my background was firm by all the reading I did of those great Caribbean writers. I learned the story of Haiti in 1970, reading Black Jacobins written by the great C.L.R. James. I read Ivan Van Sertema, Dr. Sidney James, a lot of guys that wrote magnificent books, but they were not necessarily well received because of the hue of their complexion. Got it. Got it. So uh, tell us a little bit. Are you a family man? Like what? Oh, I'm a family. Who, who are you? <laughs> I'm in life? too much of a family man. <laughs> I'm married. Uh, I'm in my uh, second marriage. My first marriage, I have two boys. Uh, this one, I have an adopted boy and a girl. Oh, congratulations. It's wonderful. We live here in New York City. Um, well, it's the big rotten apple, but it's wonderful. And the kids <laughs> are grown and uh, working. So we're sort of transitioning into empty, empty nesters. Oh, that's a wonderful feeling. I, I know it well. So congratulations to you. So I want to dive in a little bit about some of what's currently happening in the United States today. 
what we're seeing is a lot of pushback on history, on significant history in the um, Black American population. We're seeing the banning of books. We're seeing uh, certain things related to our particular history of people of color being censored right now. Tell me what you think about all of that. Well, this has been going on for centuries, but now they've turned up the volume. They've turned up the intensity. They've turned on the heat. Just today in the news, you can read that they're going to republish a book written by Dr. Eric Williams, who later became the Prime Minister of Trinidad and Tobago. This book is a landmark book. It's called Capitalism and Slavery. They did not want that book published. This is the kind of thing that's been going on. I say when I speak, the history of people of color has been denied, distorted, or flatly omitted. This is part of a process of dehumanization. Once you dehumanize someone, you can turn them into what you have. You know, I had a discussion just last night with a college professor, and she brought up, brought up the term white supremacy. And we surmised that white supremacy came from white fragility because they told the world that they were the only people, the only humans, the only real people. Everybody else was of no value and could be used as slaves or just eliminated. Then they themselves realized that that was not true. And that made them fragile, which created the need for white supremacy, which really generated colonization. There's another misconception that people have. People believe slavers were racist. No, slavery was economics. Racism is a development from slavery. So slavers, if I'm hearing you correctly, well, it was more about the capitalism and the economic Absolutely. value of the, of the slaves. This is, why, this is why Dr. Williams's book is so important. Now, Dr. Williams wrote this book in the 50s while he was at Oxford. Capitalism and Slavery, it's a groundbreaking book, but nobody would publish it for a long time. It was published for a short while and then out of print. And, now, and I think it was published in this country. But this is from the 50s to now. I think it's 80 years since he submitted this work. And it's, it's a magnificent work. He's a brilliant. He isn't the greatest politician and not my biggest hero, but he's a brilliant, brilliant thinker. What do you think the, the white body people that are practicing the censorship and the banning of books and the blocking of the teaching of history, real history of the United States, not the whitewashed history, what do you think they're afraid of? They're simply afraid of the truth. They're absolutely afraid of the truth. That's the key. It's simple. I'm sorry, but there's no, I can't elaborate on that answer because they're simply afraid of the truth. Now we know because of DNA. They had traced it back 20, 30 years ago. We thought Lucy was the oldest fossil. Now with DNA and DNA is, 100% accurate or 99.99% accurate, we know that every human being on this planet has the DNA of what they're calling mitochondrial Eve. This is a fossil that was found in the African veldt. 
This, this is where life began. So it doesn't matter what you believe, whether you believe in creation or evolution or whatever you believe in, we all come from one source. So to create a super person, you know, this has been, they've been failing at this. One of the biggest failures is when Jesse Owens embarrassed Adolf Hitler. <laughs> because this was supposed to be the mighty white race, but they've been losing these battles and coming up with these cockamamie arguments, making it, trying to make it sound scientific. Now that's done. It's 100% political. So what is the truth that they're afraid of? Well, you see, if, if, if what they teach about us that starts in 1619, then why should we, we be respected? But okay, let me give you an example. They tell you about Caesar Augustus and the amazing Roman Empire. And we know if you read anything about the Bible, whether you're Christian or not, you know that during the time of Jesus, the Romans were occupying that area, right? What they don't tell you is that the Roman Empire and Caesar Augustus tried to advance further into Africa and put up against the Kushite army led by a one-armed black woman, and she whooped them for four and a half years till Caesar Augustus signed a truce. That is Amini Reynas, one word. You can Google it and see. You know, they want to hide from things like Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa is regarded today as the richest person who ever lived. Imagine this, Eva. In 1311, there was a Catalan Atlas. An Atlas would be a map of the world as they knew it then. And this was all the countries they had. Obviously, it would be very incomplete, but that's what they had. That's what they knew. On this map, there are outlines of countries. There's only one person on the map, one individual on the map, and that is Mansa Musa. Mansa Musa, they think his worth is about four times what Bezos is today. Wow. They don't want us to learn these truths. Okay, so what, what, remind me, what year are we talking about again? Mansa, this is in the 1300s. The 1300s. And Mansa Musa and his, Mansa Musa actually is not the real hero. His brother, Abu Bakr II, is the real hero. He handed the throne over to his younger brother when he went on, when he went off on a voyage to explore. And we have, we have a book written by an Egyptian, I forget his name right now but that uh, Abu Bakr sailed ships using the Guinea current and ended up in what is today Bahia, Brazil. And this is the African settlement of Brazil. We know from Columbus's own writings that Columbus has said he spoke to Indians who had interactions with black people. We know the statues of the Olmecs. We know that, and there was a presence of cotton in the Americas before Columbus. Cotton comes from Africa. So we know that Africans were here. There is not a whole lot of discussions. A lot of Mexican scholars push back on that because they don't like it. Just like the Indians push back on the who inhabited the Hindu Kush mountains the first. Everything that Africa involved in, people push back against it. Why? I don't know. It sounds to me like a power play. Everyone oh, wants to be the greatest, the best, the power, even above the economic empowerment of it and the um, the capitalism, it really is at a kindergarten level of wanting to be 
the best, the strongest, the the most important, if you will. There's just the ego is involved. And you see it today in today's politicians, the levels to which they will stoop to to remain in and gain more power. Yes. Yes. Over people. Yeah, but the driving force has to be economy because yeah. the big hand body hand. has to support it. They have to support it. So, and that's a, that's so evident when you look at the Haitian the Haitian Revolution and how that took place. You know, I'm curious. You're so knowledgeable, and you, you you're spitting out these words of wisdom as if they're ingrained in your actual being. I'd be looking it up and like. Who said this and what, what was the author of that? From someone who came, um, was an immigrant to America and went into the Air Force, what was it about the discovery of this type of history that just lights you up? Because I can see the excite, I can hear the excitement in your voice. Okay. I can see the okay. excitement in your mannerisms. Okay. Growing up in Guyana, we had some political issues. You see, Guyana first the large population was African slaves to produce sugarcane for the Dutch and then the British. Okay. Now, they brought, well, after slavery was abolished, they brought in Indians. And then the Indians from India, they started to get along with the slaves. So then they started to shake it up. Oh, no, 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 we don't want that. They divided and conquered. So I was conscious of that. When I, you know, before coming to the States, you read everything. You read Ebony Magazine, Time Magazine, Jet Magazine. So you know what's going on. And you could look in the mirror, you know where you stand. It didn't take me 20 minutes at Kennedy Airport so somebody called me a nigger. But that's okay. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, I expected that. It's what I was expecting. But then when they made me study history, and they showed me that they didn't link the Louisiana Purchase to the Haitian Revolution. And there's so much gaps in their history because my guys fed me well. You see, Ivan Van Sertema, Dr. James, Yan Carew, Derek Walcott, all these guys fed me well. So I, it was not a classroom. These guys wrote books. They're brilliant writers. So they gave me, so when I stood up in a classroom in New York City, uh, I knew where I was coming from. I was ready. I was loaded. And as I, the, the other part is, I learned more writing the book. Doing the research was a revelation. Before I was done with this book, I'm ready for the next. <laughs> I really enjoyed the process and I realized I'm an engineer by trade and training. History is my passion. And history is my passion because they lied about my people. You know, it's so exciting to hear the passion in your voice and and just know that this love of learning and history and the writers that you were exposed to growing up where you grew up really um, is having us all benefit now through the writing of your book and and the research and knowledge that you know. And that that's one thing that I've always had issue with the, with the United States is the the whitewashing for lack, I, I don't need, need to even whitewash the word whitewash, but the select history that we're taught growing up. And even as a, a woman of color myself, that's all I knew, you right. know, until I start doing my own 
independent investigation and research on what's what's happening and then to see how upset the uh, white privileged supremacy uh, supremacist movement is getting over the knowledge. I mean, they've always tried to keep knowledge from us, always. It's in their DNA because, you know, knowledge gives us the power. So we're going to take a short break now. But when we come back, I want to hear more about your inspiration for writing the book and what is so significant about Haiti when it comes to United States history. So stay with us, everybody. You're not going to want to miss this because Roger is going to be dropping some serious eye-opening knowledge to us. So we'll be right back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Roger Prasad, who is the author of the book, America Should Be Grateful to Haiti. So, Roger, why write this book? Tell us a little bit about it and why you felt you had to write it. Okay. I knew the Haitian story growing up as a kid, but they made me take U.S. history in order to get my degree. So it's their fault, not mine, because I could link the Haitian Revolution to a certain large American American event. And they didn't do it. Now, I was on a soccer team in college and the professor was also the coach. So he's my friend. And I went to him and I said, hey, man, how come you don't teach the Haitian Revolution when you teach the Louisiana Purchase? And he said, well, 
the textbook doesn't have it that way and you got to pass my test. So you got to write what's in the book. He said, you have a very good point though. So I always knew that. And when I adopted my son eight years ago and came home from school, I think it was 20, 2017. I said, okay, what do they teach you? He said, slaves came from Africa. I said, they're still teaching that stuff. And I started complaining. I started complaining. I've got a very good friend who's written over 150 books. His name is Will Shorts. He is the crossword puzzle editor for Time, New York Times. He said, Roger, quit whining about the story and write the damn book. So I wrote the book. But by this time, I had more ammunition because I had lived in Oklahoma, which is part of the Louisiana Purchase area. So I knew some of the history. But let me get to why America should be grateful to Haiti. By the 1800s, America was on the East Coast and the West Coast. The entire center of the United States was occupied and owned by the government of France. Haiti at the same time was the Pearl of the Antilles, producing sugar, coffee, cotton, cocoa, and indigo, and responsible for 50% of French GDP. Now, this was also the era of revolution. You had the American Revolution in 1776, the, the French Revolution in 1789. Now at the French Revolution, they produced a document called the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen, written by Marquis de Lafayette and his good friend, Mr. Thomas Jefferson. Now this document said people were born with fundamental rights. Have we heard that before, Eva? Upon a time, I might have heard that. <laughs> All right. So, so Haiti started to kick off the revolution. Now, what I want to make, the point I want to make for people that are listening that don't know much about Haitian history, this tiny little country, and this is what aroused me as a 14-year-old reading this. Here's a tiny little Caribbean country that beat the local French that captured them, the reinforcements that were sent in. Now there was confusion in, in France because you had the revolutions, and you had the monarchy, and they were up against each other. And actually, France abolished slavery first before anybody else in 1894. And that really, really gave fire to the Haitians, and they continued their revolution. They continued and continued. By the way, you made a point at the end of the last segment when you said they're afraid of education. Their fear of, of education caused a spark for the Haitian revolution. There was a man named Dutty Bookman. That's the name we end up with him. He came from Senegal. He was a Muslim cleric, an educated man. He was sent to Jamaica and was teaching, he was caught teaching people to read and write. And for that, he was punished and shipped to the worst place a man could be sent, Haiti. And Dutty Bookman was really instrumental in getting the revolution going. He is the one that hooked up with the Voodoo Mamba and started the situation at Wakamia, <coughs> which started the Haitian Revolution in 1991. But here's the thing. They not only beat the, the local French, the imported French, then the troops the British sent in, 55,000 troops, because they didn't want to go to France to ask them to send troops because of the confusion there. They went to the British in Jamaica. The British in England loved it. They just lost the United States. They just lost America. So now they could gain another valuable colony. They sent in 55,000 troops. They fought for four and a half years. They wasted 10 million pounds and they got defeated. Now 
Toussaint Louverture, the emergent leader in Haiti. He now knows that Napoleon has taken charge. The 1894 agreement is abolished. He's bringing back slavery and he's coming to Haiti. So he clears the Spanish out of Santo Domingo and he gets ready for Napoleon. Napoleon sends, he didn't go, he sent 88,000 troops, 408 ships, and they fought for three years and lost. And the sad part about them losing, which the French don't like to admit, is the island was surrounded by British, the arch enemies of the French. So when they left surrendering, they were captured by the British. <laughs> so much I love irony. that little chuckle you get around that. What, what did you learn that surprised you when you were researching writing this book? I learned that the dehumanization started with the indigenous. First, they decided to dehumanize the indigenous people, call them savages. By the way, the great document that they herald so much, the American constitution, one of the greatest documents in the world, it refers to First Nation people as Indian savages. Now there were 60 million of these folks living in this area before 1492. And within 125 years, it was down to 6 million. Now, who are the savages? Hmm. Good point. You know, um, I, lo I love that you brought that up about the Constitution, because as we are talking about this, there has been so much discussion about protecting the rights in the Constitution, the Constitution that were written by slaveholders, yes. the constitution that wrote all men are created equal when they did not fully believe in their heart, all men, they believed all white men were created yes. equal. And the fight that is still going on to protect our constitution and not adjust it for the changing times and the next level of knowledge and revelation and equity, equal and fair treatment that, I mean, it's just mind blowing. I'm actually at a loss of words. So I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but when you said constitution, I was just like, you know, the hairs went up. up well, the well, back it's of interesting. My neck. I'll just address that Supreme court uh, decision. They said, you can't, talk about abortion because it's not in the Constitution. You know what else is not in the Constitution? Women. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we don't want... We no, don't. Their, their, their argument is circular. Come on. You cannot go literally. It's like taking the Bible... Bible literally. literally. We're on the same wavelength with that because exactly. I was thinking the exactly. same same exactly. thing. It's... Yeah. And, and, and this is what is scary to me about the people who in this 21st century are still holding these beliefs to be self-evident that all men are created equal when they really believe that all white men are created equal, that women do not, cannot have autonomy over there, the decisions made on their bodies. And it's still, even though there are women supporting it, it's still a construct of the white male patriarchy in this country. Yes, yes, no doubt, no doubt. The white male patriarch, two things that have a lot to answer for, or two uh, groups, white male patriots, supposedly, and white Christian evangelists. Yes. 
that now, now you're talking. really, really used in a really negative and deconstructive way. And, you know, they've gotten people so confused. People are saying now, why are you taking this white man's religion? When did this become a white man's religion? You go 12 chapters into Genesis and Abraham goes to Ur, leaves Ur because of famine and goes where? To Egypt. You go 25 chapters further. Joseph is beaten by his brothers and thrown in a pit and then sold into slavery in where? Egypt. There is so much Africa in the Old Testament. I was reading a piece the other day in, I uh, think it was, uh, it's Samuel. And they're talking about Solomon. And when Solomon's son Absalom was killed and they, they wanted to send a message to Solomon, they said, you go. And he said, no, send the Cushite. He's faster. They knew we were faster than them. <laughs> if you don't know, the Cushites are black. The Cushites are black. So there's, yeah. there's I knew that's where you were going over. with that. Yeah. There's Africa all over the Bible. Even when you get into the New Testament, the baby Jesus, the Middle Eastern baby Jesus, is to, after the three white men, wise men visit, they tell him to take the baby away. His father takes him to Egypt. Why? Because a European king, an Italian leader, wanted to kill him. Mm. Go a little bit further into the book of Acts. The first convert that is non-Jewish, the Ethiopian eunuch. Yes. And God told Philip <laughs> to go on the road to Damascus. So what are you talking about? Then you go into the, the, the third century and you get these church fathers like Augustine, St. Augustine, Origen, Tertullian. These are giants in the Christian faith, all black people. So And yeah, this, so our this religious Middle history. Eastern African religion was hijacked by Europeans. Mm -hmm. And whitewashed. You know, I, I posted on Facebook once uh, a picture of colonized Jesus and, and biblical Jesus and the amount of people that got upset over what we imagine biblical Jesus looked like compared to, you know, I call it the Berkeley hippie Jesus, you know, white skin, long hair, sandals yeah. and beard, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, what I want what I want to share with our audience, because a lot of what you're saying is is so fascinating and it's nothing that we will never learn in the educational system of the United States of America. What is one thing that, or maybe more than one thing that you can share with the listeners right now that they may not know the significance of why America should be grateful to Haiti? Talk okay. to me about that title. Here's the theme in the book. The reason America should be grateful to Haiti is because if the Haitian Revolution was not successful, Napoleon would never have had the, nest, the, the need to sell the land he owned in the United States, creating the Louisiana Purchase. The Louisiana Purchase is 828,000 square miles, the entire states of Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, parts of North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, parts of uh, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, and Louisiana. This is 828,000 square miles and made America contiguous from ocean to ocean for the first time in history, providing this beautiful country, which I love. Mm -hmm. 
with the two greatest defense mechanisms in the history of the world that is serving us still today, the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. <laughs> Everybody now that's dreams. a big deal. That it's is a, a big deal. deal. It's and, a humongous deal. And, and nobody would make that connection uh, with what we are learning in history today. And so it, it's a really important point because Haiti is historically looked down upon. There, there's so much poverty in Haiti. And, and I don't know how much Americans, I know I'm not one that's well-versed in Haitian history, but it's really important that you bring this up. Here's the worst part of Haitian history that is not known. Now, we know they had the revolution and they fought and they won a 12-year war for their independence, which they gained in 1804 when the Salines declared the Republic of Haiti. 21 years later, the French returned with the support of the powers that be, and they surrounded the island with gunboats and demanded reparations for the value of the 200,000 Africans that died fighting for their freedom because they considered them property. And Haiti was forced to pay that debt. They started about three years after 1824 and they paid that debt until 1947. And here's where old good old Uncle Sam comes in. Nobody would do, now Haiti was blackballed. Nobody could invest in Haiti, no European country, nobody. Now Haiti also helped out Venezuela. They helped out Simon Bolivar. They helped out a lot of South American revolutionaries. They gave them safe haven and they financed them because that was their mentality. And there were a lot of people that were in support of Haiti in the beginning, but as a slaveholding nation, you couldn't support a country like Haiti. So this is what deteriorated. Now, the United States, when World War I broke out, they used World War I because you had a few German businessmen who had went to Haiti and invested. So the Americans said, oh, we can't have these Germans in Haiti. So they went in, took over Haiti, took over the Haitian economy. We don't know what happened to that deal with the money that the French wanted, but all of a sudden, America was taking it out of the Haitian economy. Oh, and by the way, Citibank was there in Haiti. They were mining gold. And imagine this, they're mining gold and have the ability to tell the Haitians what the gold is worth. Wow. They took that wow. money out until 1947, calculated today. It's $21 billion in today's currency. There's an well, article Roger, in the New York Times in the last we, month We have so. to take a short break now. And I know you are on a roll and sorry, we can sorry, continue sorry. this after our break. So I want you to continue that story after the break. And I also want to hear more about how significant your research and this history is in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. So stay with us, everyone. We are going to be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? 
Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. If you feel stuck, exhausted, or just unsure of how to handle everything at once that life is throwing your way, you'll want to listen to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most, with Eva Medelec. Eva and her guests will help you learn to focus on the most important priorities in your life so you can handle them one at a time instead of being constantly overwhelmed. What's Important Now, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. All right, everybody, we are back with Roger Prasad and we are in this amazing discussion about why America should be grateful to Haiti. And I bet you, like me, are learning some things that you had absolutely no idea about the intertwining of what happened in the Haitian Revolution and what happened in America with the Louisiana Purchase and how America became a continuous state, a continuous state. So, Roger, when we, before we went to break, you were talking about Citibank being in Haiti and mining the gold in Haiti. And so I want to give you an opportunity to shine some more pearls of wisdom to our listeners about that particular incident. Yeah, the United States went into Haiti, took over the Haitian economy and took those payments out. And they brought in Citibank because Haiti had gold and they were mining gold in Haiti, taking it out. But the, the hard part is, they were valuing what they were taking out, not the Haitians. That's the sad part. Mm. But when you get Got down it. to the whole situation, 
our history has either been denied, distorted, or just simply omitted. If all you know of me comes from what you know from 1619, then I don't expect you to respect me. I feel the more people know about each other, the more opportunities we have to develop respect. I came from the corporate world. I spent 35 years for some of the largest corporations in the United States, and I worked for some great companies. I understand the struggle. This history, this knowledge must be passed on to leaders. This is where leadership can learn history and eliminate unconscious bias by bolstering their knowledge of history. And it's not even bolstering, it's just exposing because this has not been told. This history has been hidden. This history has been omitted. That's the style of the United States. Other countries have it differently. South Africa did it differently. England did it differently. But in this country, they use the method of omission. What's going to happen once this is exposed? More people will learn. My first invitation to speak, Eva, is to a white Catholic church in London, in Soho. They went to my website. They, you know, looked at some of my speeches and they invited me. This is amazing. I really do think this message is for everybody, but I especially want to talk to leadership because I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference with this message in showing people, empowering people to have confidence in a diverse workforce. That sounds beautiful. And I'm going to be honest with you. It sounds ambitious. It sounds a little pie in the sky from my experience, but today I'm feeling a type of way. So I'll be honest about that. It's just really discouraging to see what's happening in this country, in our Supreme Court system, and the thought process from our leaders in our judicial system in the United States. What I want to ask you is, who needs to read this book? Everybody, but first of all, I want I want people of color to read this book and develop pride in themselves. That's uh, you know that if I don't accomplish any anything and I accomplish that, that's uh, then I've succeeded. But I think I think people could learn. I have I've I've been on you know this clubhouse. Yes, I've got a friend who's on clubhouse. I went on clubhouse. I spoke for like five minutes, and I got five people, all white people, called me and bought the book. So, you know, when people hear the story, one lady was offended that they didn't teach her history properly. And I like that attitude. She said, how dare they not tell me that? How dare these people are my citizens? These are my fellow, these are my neighbors. These are my coworkers. Why are you hiding? Their history is my history. What are you hiding? You're hurting me. And I agree with that. Why are they hiding our history? Because they lied. When you start, oh, what a terrible. There it is. There Once it is, my job. 
(laughs) (laughs) Mic drop moment right there. There it is. Because their lies will be exposed. Right. And right now we're talking about the big lie a lot in this country. People choose to believe lies. But what I notice is no matter how much evidence you give them to the contrary, that points them toward the truth, they still choose to believe the lie. Well, you will have, you will have that unmovable group. You will have that unmovable group. I don't think they're larger than 30%. And once we educate people that are willing to learn, you can only educate the willing. You can't educate anybody else. Once you educate the willing, things will change. If we touch one person at a time, by the way, let me just tell you a quick story. I got invited to speak at the Oyster Bay Historical Society. That's in Long Island. And there's only three people showed up. Eva, it was cold. I really didn't feel like speaking. But I, you know, I said, these people came out of their house and I'm going to speak. And I spoke and there wasn't much of a response. One lady said to me as I was leaving, she said, young man. I hope you succeed. As I see it, you're making a dent in racism. And racism is a huge wall. And the more dense we can get in it, before we can knock it down. And that made my month. (laughs) I was on cloud nine through Christmas. (laughs) You know, as you're sharing that story, it reminds me of the speech Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave the night before he was assassinated. It was cold, it was rainy, he was in hotel room and the group he spoke to was a small crowd, a lot smaller than he was used to giving speeches in. And he decided not to go. And Jesse Jackson went in his stead and called Dr. King and said, they don't wanna hear me, man, they wanna hear you. Yep. And so he got out of his bed and he went to that event and he spoke. And he gave one of his most powerful speeches ever. And it was the last speech he would ever give. And um, when you look at video of that speech, you could see the exhaustion. He wasn't feeling well, all of it. And as he finished giving it, that was his. Yeah, that's when he said, I may not get there with you, that I have a dream. And you could could see him collapse right after that speech where they literally had to hold him up and carry him off the podium. And I didn't know the backstory behind that. I watched a Netflix documentary, I believe it was called A King in the Wilderness. And I remember watching it on a plane because I thought they were talking about the Lion King. Okay, don't laugh. (laughs) I did not know it was about Dr. King. I heard A King in the Wilderness. I'm like, oh, I like lions. This should be good. (laughs) And I learned so much about Dr. King's history of depression while doing his work and and how, you know, really deep behind the scenes uh, of his struggle, because this work is exhausting, Roger, you know it. It is exhausting. A A lot of times you are you're the dents are barely making dents and it can be discouraging. And I see your energy. I feel your energy and I feel your commitment. With everything that you do, what matters most to you? 
What matters most to me is getting this message out there. This has gone on too long. Eva, it is a shame that me, an immigrant, have to tell the real American story. That is a shame. I had a discussion last night. I was at a birthday party and I was with a professor who I just met. And she said, isn't it interesting that you decided to write these books? What are all these scholars doing? Why aren't they telling this story? You know, everybody is telling a different story. There, there are some people doing some great work out there in the DNI field. You know, I love, you know, there's some great, wonderful people. By the way, there's a book I like to push because I read it and it's great and people should read it. And it's called The Cost of Us. Mm. The Cost of Us. I forget the sister that wrote it, but it's a brilliant, brilliant book. And it shows how racism has hurt the American economy. Not just hurt black people but hurt the American economy. Because you know we spend money, but that's another story. <laughs> but The Cost of Us is a brilliant book. Well, I, you know, I don't see it as being, as you being an immigrant needing to teach Americans because we are a nation of immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> we well, are. So it seems to me to be quite appropriate, <laughs> if you will, that uh, an immigrant gets to bring this powerful story to light about Haiti, because if we wait for us to do it, it'll never happen. Right. 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 But I want to go back to something that one of my coaches said to me, you know, the world is full and I'll give him credit here. Larry Wingett, one of my, my speaking coaches. Oh, I, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. Larry. You I know, Larry. Know I know Larry. Yeah. yeah. So Larry once said, you know, we're used to hearing that the world is full of the haves and have nots, but the world is actually filled with the wills and the will nots. Now you talked about people being willing to acquire the knowledge, accept the knowledge, implement the knowledge, if you will. And we always hear about being ready, willing, and able. So it's not that we're not ready. It's not that we're not able but are we willing to learn? I think more than the majority is willing. A little, maybe a lot more than the majority is willing. But there is that group that won't change. They won't change. They'll stay that way. They're still flat earth society people. <laughs> we can't change all of them. People will say, I follow the science, and they have no idea what they're talking about. But yeah. I want to I want to tell I want to tell about one thing before I forget. And in the book I speak about the Osage Indians. And I actually got to meet Osage Indians. And imagine moving going into an area and meeting these people getting to know them and after they get to know you oh my neighbor over there they killed my grandmother my grandfather and his brother and see those other people over there? They killed my cousin. Okay. First of all, when Lewis and Clark started the expedition of discovery, which would explore the new Louisiana Purchase Territory, they went in, and one of the first people they met were the Osage Indians. They were the people of the Middle Waters. These people were flourishing. They had traded with the French. 
Some of the Osages had been to Europe. They had European furniture in one of their teepees so they could negotiate because they sold fur. They were the most famous furriers north of the Canadian, south of the Canadian border. They were doing great. Lewis and Clark were so impressed. They told Thomas Jefferson, invite these people to the White House. These people are great. These people got education. They're cool. They were invited to the White House not once but twice. But in the end, like every other Indian, they lost everything, right? But the story gets better. They lost everything, but they studied the white man's way. They looked and they figured and they figured out what was going on. And they figured how the white man acquired land. And they went back because all the Indians were getting IOUs. And the IOUs were supervised by something called the duty of protection. Legal scholars can take that because you can Google duty of protection. It was what the Indians were promised duty of protection. The Osage Indians lost everything. They gained land back in Oklahoma. They gained that land because it was called the Black Hills. Nothing would grow there but spiders and scorpions. But that's where <laughs> the oil was. That's where the oil was. And then the Osage Indians got rich again. And then they were murdered for their riches in the reign, the Osage reign of terror. 600 Osages were killed. And that actually started the FBI. That was the birth of the FBI, the Osage murders. Oh, wow. You are just dropping knowledge bombs all over the place here. Wow. Roger, I could talk to you forever. How can folks get in touch with you, learn more about the book, get the book uh, and learn more about your work? The book can be had at my website, rogerprasad.com rogerprasad.com. There's also a Kindle version available on Amazon. I'm putting the whole book on Amazon, but I'm not done with that yet. But rogerprasad.com. You can visit my website, hear me speak, buy the book, play around, have fun. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing these historical facts with us and for being this wonderful, amazing, energetic guest on our show. And I also want to thank our listeners for choosing to listen to the show today. I'm really grateful to you that you are listening and finding some new knowledge that you can implement on this show today. And I want to leave you with a quote by Charles Darwin. A man who dares to waste an hour of time has not discovered the value of life. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week. 